as always, I can't wait to see you. And here I get to do this and see you. And I can see all of you. So that's kind of funny. If you're online, yo, I can't see you, but I know you're there. So I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Also, we're going to get real big right now. Okay, you're with me? And you're going to be a little surprised at how we're going to do this. But this is how we're going to get big. I mean, real big. Here we go. Do you know how far away the moon is, which, by the way, is today waxing crescent? Huh? You didn't know I knew how to say that, did you? So the moon is waxing. You know how far away the moon is? I'm going to tell you how far away it is. Some of you remember, maybe some don't, 238,900 miles away. That's a long ways. Now, if you were to drive there, and if you were to drive every day, and if you were to average 655 or so miles a day, it would take you one stinking year to drive from here to the moon. So I want you to begin to feel the immensity of this. You're with me? But wait, there's more. Do you remember how far the sun is away from planet Earth? Right? We're third rock in. You remember that part. You're right. You got, uh, you got Venus and you got Mars. And you got, um, right, I forgot the first one. Help me. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, right? The inner four. 93 million miles away. Do you know how long it would take you to drive that? Averaging without a day's rest. Do you think you could drive for a year to get to the moon without a day's rest, 655 miles a day? If you drive that same 165 miles a day, it's going to take you 390 years <laughs> to get from here to the sun. But wait, there's more. Did you know this, that we, in our what we call solar system, the eight planets plus Pluto got demoted, um, we, are, we orbit around the sun, and we're a part of what they call a galaxy, and now we're starting to drift out into la-la land here because this is really hard for me to keep my head with. We are in a solar system, and here, here's the solar system. If, let's pretend that the solar system, ours, was a football field, all right? Let's put the sun on the goal line. You with me? You know how big we want to make it? A dime. As big as a dime. On the two-yard line, sitting pretty, ready to enter and score, planet Earth. You know how big planet Earth is if the dime is the sun and we're two yards out? It's the size of a speck, one-third the size of a flea. Neptune, 60 yards down the field. Immensity. Billions and billions of miles. So what I, sometimes you get this feeling of the awesomeness of everything out there and how big it is, and you begin to feel small. So let's, let's come back and talk about feeling small, not in a pejorative sense, not in a negative sense, but just physically. So if a dime is the, earth, is the sun, and if Earth is a teeny tiny, it's 0.16 milliliters if you want to know how big it would be. If compared to the dime and however big that is. I forget the milliliters. If you want to be, think about how many people are on this teeny, teeny speck that is represented by sand. There are about 8 billion of us. There are about 8 billion people living on a teeny, teeny speck, which is on the two-yard line in just our solar system. Oh, by the way, what do they think? How many solar systems are there in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy? You know what they think? About 3,900 of them. This thing that we're in that we can see, it's 
huge. It's massive. Unbelievably big. And you and I, it's not that we don't matter. It's just that it's monstrously huge. And so now we're going to become a little more theological. This big, 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 gigantic reality says the psalmist about you and me. Psalm 8, a reflection on what is the reality out there and how do we, as the remember, the sand speck, if a dime is the sun, the earth is the size of a speck of sand and there are 8 billion of us on the planet right now. Here's what the psalmist says about this reality. Yahweh. Remember, the name of God is Yahweh, and we can pronounce God's name, Yahweh, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. In the psalmist's mind, talking about all this hugeness of reality that the psalmist doesn't know what we know today, but they know it's big. You have set your glory in the heavens, the presence of God, glory, this, the significance, the impact of God and who God is, God's godness, that we can see it displayed in this bigness. So here is a person just like you when you're sitting out on the beach away from city lights or in the mountains away from them, you can see it and you begin to feel small. But don't feel too small because listen to what comes next. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, it's the admission, the commitment, the, the confession, the happy observation that God made it all. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, just this immensity and just your hands, that's how you're making it happen. The moon and the stars which you have set in place what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings, in the Hebrew it says Adam there, which is why I tease Adam and call him Adam all the time. Human beings that you care for them. In other words, how could I possibly matter? Look at it. It's immense. They did not know how to say 93 million back then. But they knew it was immense. And here is the answer. When, I, when, the, when the psalmist is asking, who could I possibly be in this material, glorious, unbelievable creation that you made? Who am I? And here's the answer back. This is the inspiration of God into the mind and of the, in the pen of the writer. You have made them, that is the human beings, you have made them just a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Human beings, though we're, we're small, we are the crown of creation. You made them, that is humankind, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. We're the stewards. You put your everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. In an agricultural farming environment means you put the human beings that you made, though they're teeny tiny in the great immensity of the universe, you put them in charge as your stewards, your managers, your agents, your image bearers. Who are we, friends, in the immensity of the universe? Yahweh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so here we are. 
you and I, trying to figure out how, how does God's big plan matter to us? Just one more thing. I, wa I won't read the text. I'll just tell you. Trust me. Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Not one sparrow is forgotten. The hairs on your head are numbered. In the immensity of the loving mind of God, with a teeny tiny speck, with eight billion teeny, teeny, teeny tiny specks on that, your hairs are numbered. Do you see what see what the what we're learning here? We're learning that the immense God who made all of this loves us and put us in place, and there is a big, big plan. The plan is just as big as the universe. And that's what we want to make sure we understand. We want to understand this big, huge, gigantic plan. And that's the longest introduction I've ever had in my whole life <laughs> to reading the text that we're going to read today. And we're going to read the entire chapter 2. I'm going to read it to you, and you're going to see it on the screen. Entire chapter 2 of the book of Joshua. But let me just remind you of a couple of details. <clears throat> the people of Israel. The people of Israel have, were in captivity in Egypt. God leads them out and saves them, rescues them. We call that Exodus. And on they go, wandering around, and they get to the promised land. The promised land is what you and I know as modern-day Israel. And there's a river called the Jordan. It's running north-south, and there's a Sea of Galilee up here, and there's the Dead Sea down here, and there's the river. And they're camped out on the east side of the river, and they haven't crossed the river into the promised land yet. And they're just a little bit scared because they know there are people there, and the people aren't going to like it when they show up and say, oh, by the way, though, it's 450 years old, and I don't know if the real estate law would be in effect still, but you're, you're on my property. Out of here. That's basically what they're saying to the people. And they know it's not going to be good. So Joshua is now in charge because Moses handed Joshua the baton and Moses died. He's done. Moses was an awesome dude, but he's gone. So now we got a next number. Number two got promoted to number one. Joshua's in charge. <clears throat> so I'm going to read all of Joshua. Kathy, would you throw me a bottle of water? Excuse me. Here we go. Teensy, eensy, 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 little bitty, teeny, bitsy, bitsy crowns of creation. Listen carefully. There's something really, really big going on in the project of the almighty God of the universe. And we're in it. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Remembering, I, this is the only thing to say, Joshua is on the east side of the Jordan, but they're sending spies over to check things out in the promised land, and they are just a little bit nervous. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute, a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they have come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. 
So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that Yahweh has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when Yahweh gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide, your, hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet thread cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. And they said to Joshua, they said to Joshua, Yahweh has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Because of us. There we have this story, a brave woman, some lying and cheating and deceiving, all for a good cause. There's something really big going on. And we need to begin to ask a question. Are God's purposes in the universe complete? The, when we read the Bible, it's begging us to ask that question. Has God finished what God intends to do? In my life, certainly individually, and in the entire universe, well, the answer is going to be not yet. God hasn't finished. But just, just so you know, how does this story turn out, right? Rahab helps the spies get back out of the land safely. And you don't get to find out how that goes unless you read ahead until two weeks from today. 
because that's when we resolve the thing. But next week, something really important to make sure two weeks from today works really well. Next week, we're going to do that. That's chapter three. It's really cool. It's important. You can't do chapter four and five and six unless we do chapter three first. So you got to come back. You got to come back and hear about that. But is God finished? So I've summarized the entire Bible for you using a few words. Here we go again. I don't have them up on the screen. I'm just going to say them. God's project. Remember this huge, immense universe that God has made. Creation. That's word number one. And man, is it big. Creation. Second word, the fall. That's when the spiritual rebel, the snake, lied and the human beings bought it and decided they could, on their own, run their lives. They didn't need God to decide what was good and not good. I can do it by myself. They went from God's team to self-team. God says, I'm going to fix this, and he picks a guy named Abraham. And you know what the word Abraham means? Father of many in Hebrew. Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you into a huge family and I'm going to bless your family and through your family, I'm going to bless every human being, all 8 billion specks. I'm going to bless all of them. So your job is to get me in you and then go help other people experience you. That's your job. So that's word number three, creation, fall, Abraham. The people of Israel, Abraham's children end up in slavery in Egypt. So the next big thing that happens is Exodus. They get rescued by God. See, God promised. God's going to keep his promise. God's character will not allow him not to keep his promise. He rescued these enslaved people. At this point in time, we go from Abraham, which is one speck, to over a million. There's a million of them. And out they go, more than a million. So the thing is getting bigger and bigger. So God continues to promise, and he has the king of all kings, David, show up. And David is like the greatest ever. Like he's all of the great presidents of the United States combined into one plus more. And David is a high water mark. But the next kings are bad guys. The people of Israel don't follow anything about the loving covenant with God. The next thing you know, they end up exiled in a foreign land all the way over to what is now modern-day Iran and Iraq. They end up in big trouble. But there's still a word of hope. So that's the next word. Creation, fall, Abraham, Exodus, David, exile, hope. The prophets of God say, Look, you, you messed it up really bad. You quit loving God. You loved other things. You worshiped idols. You worshiped sex. You worshiped money. You worshiped military might. But the, you're still going to experience the principles, of the promises of God if you'll just admit it. And in there is the promise of a Messiah. Messiah is word number eight. There's a word number nine coming, but let me read you a little more about word number eight. It comes up on the wall. Rahab. By the way, in Hebrew, you'd pronounce it Rahab, and the same in Greek. So it's a guttural in there in the middle of it, and you'd accent the second syllable of her name, Rahab, if I could just honor her by saying her name the way it would have been said in Hebrew and in Greek. Look what happens with Rahab. You ready? Watch. Is this big story over yet for her? No. Is it over for you and for me yet? No. Is God finished? So it was started out really, really big, and it gets down to you and me individually and to Jesus. Watch what happens. This is Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, talking about who Jesus is after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So now comes what is, for Jewish people in that context, a birth certificate. 
You with me? That's what this really is. Uh, this is their way of establishing lineage. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. <clears throat> I know what I'm going to read. My emotion just got me. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. And we go a bunch of more names and we end up with Jesus. Rahab, Rahab is in the lineage of the Messiah. So just about, I need to say a couple of things about her, if I could. She's in trouble back in Jericho, and there's not much she can do about it. Some of the trouble she obviously has brought on herself. That's condition number one. Her reality is also going to be our reality. She's in trouble. And the consequences are coming her way and coming her way fast. She can't save herself, number two. She's in trouble, number two. She can't save herself. She can't fix this on her own. And three, her hope, her only hope, and your only hope and mine, is in the grace and in the mercy of God. So about Rahab and her profession, just so you know, Rachel and the sermon team are doing the same stuff together. And your children, if they're back there with her, they're talking about Rahab. I just wanted you to be aware of that. A, and you like it that we're doing the same thing. We're getting clear resonance that you like it. But here's what they're not using. They're not using that term about a profession. They're using these words. Made bad choices. Not respected. Help the spies. Okay? So that's happening today. So your kids are going to be talking about this the person Rahab who helped the spies. And she, people didn't like her. So that's kind of what they're doing. So we're, and, and I hope you understand what I'm saying here. This is great that we can do it together. And those unbelievable people that know how to talk to little kids figure out how to talk to little kids without telling them all of it. You know what I'm saying? So that's good. Another thing I wanted to say about her profession, and this is really just about our mission and ministry at First Pres, is that um, I ha I'm a different man when I hear that word, prostitute. And what I mean by that is this. About 10 years ago, Kathy and I get, got introduced to this mission that we're a part of now called Created. And I, I would say my perspective about prostitution was that those are just bad people. Just blame them. Bad people. And oh, is, do I know differently now. Now, I'm not taking any responsibility away from any of us for our moral behavior. However, what's going on in the real world of trafficking is not because these people, it's not fundamentally because these people are just reduced to something like bad people. These women are being trafficked, and you need to understand that most of them, high 90s, were abused. And you need to know that the first, the age of abuse, average age of their first time being abused is 13. So, I say all of that just to say we, we read this text and I don't know anything about Rahab and her background. I don't know if she was abused. But see, we, we love her. And we love these women today. And we, we would not say those words in the same pejorative way. Though every woman who's a part of this mission, 
who's rescued out of it. She's quick to acknowledge her part. She's quick to admit that she, like all of us, to quote the great Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glory, remember that word glory? The glory of God that we see in the heavens, that's what God wants for us. And she, like us, has fallen short. There's not a difference between you and me when it comes to God and her. Rahab or Fitz or David or Kathy or any of us. We are simply like, like Rahab. We are in trouble. We can't fix it on our own. And we have the mercy of God that we just wait for it to happen. And remember that eighth word was Messiah. The ninth word, we sang it in the second song. Is God finished yet? And the answer is not yet. There's a new creation coming. Second Corinthians, Paul, the writing to the people who are Jesus followers in the little city of Corinth there on the Isthmus, just coming west from Athens. His second letter to them, he writes, If anyone is in Christ, it is a new creation. And you go read Revelation, the last two chapters of the Bible, 21 and 22. I am making a new heaven and a new earth. All things made new new again. Is God finished? Absolutely not. Because God, the device, the decisive victory has been won, the crucifixion, the resurrection, but God is doing what he's doing, and heaven and earth are going to get put back together again, and it's going to be really, really big. And we're in on it. You and I are in on it. We're in on God putting heaven and earth back together again. And like Rahab, we got to choose. Am I going to be on Team Jesus, or am I, or am I going to be as the snake duped me on team self. See, let me just think about the speck. The default for me, that teeny, teeny speck of 8 billion of us on that little grain of sand, if the sun is a dime on the goal line and I'm at the two-yard line, that teeny, teeny speck has the, I, I think I'm the center of the universe. We think the universe rotates around us. Let yourself go to the cosmology of creation. The universe does not rotate around me. It's not orbiting me. But man, is that not how I act. I can't help myself. And so every day I have to say, I'm sorry I did it again. But you know what? God doesn't love some future version of me, of my better me. That's not who God loves. God loves me right now. And here's what God doesn't say when he looks at Rahab. He doesn't say, what in the name of me did she just do? That's not what God says. God's not surprised. God is patient and loving. And God knows ahead of time. And God loves us just the way we are right now. What The, the question that you and I are going to continue to ask again is God finished? And the answer is going to be no. And you may remember I said, I read the text and it said two or three times that their hearts were melting in fear. Here's the mystery. Here's the beauty of what happens. Our, hair, our hearts also, by the presence of God's spirit, our hearts also, sometimes we find ourselves, they're melting. Your heart wants to melt because you're being loved by God just the way you are. Do you and do I 
realize that we need a scarlet thread. You need a scarlet cord. Rahab, she needed a scarlet cord. I most definitely need a scarlet cord. That's what I need in my life. That's what you need in your life. God works in patterns where new creation is written all over them. And when we hold on to God and that scarlet cord, the next thing you know, we're a part of God's work. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. And up it's going to come on the wall. This is a rich and full statement. And we're going to read it a couple of times. And you get your phone out and take a picture of this. And you chew on it. Look carefully at what this says. We've been called by God, meaning we individually, but also as a family. We don't do this alone. We've been called by God. How? Through the power and the presence of the resurrected Jesus and through God's word. By that, I mean the Bible. We've been called by God through the power and the presence of the resurrected Jesus and through God's word to become a living breathing anticipation of this new creation. That's who you are. That's who I am. Now you're thinking, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I got no game. I, I'm not nothing. I'm not spiritual. I'm not religious. I, no, you're different. In just this past week, I've talked to six or seven or eight different people who will say, because of my friends who I'm doing life with around Scripture and small groups here in worship, etc., because of them, I'm a totally different person. Some of you who I heard that from are in this room right now. Your lives are changing, and people can see it, and people can tell because you love differently, and you care differently, and you engage differently, and you go out of your way to try to make a difference. And that's what's going on. You've been called, and I've been called, through the power and the presence of the resurrected Jesus, and through God's Word, to be a living, breathing anticipation of this new creation. God is not finished yet. Let that question Ask, let that question penetrate your thinking. Is God finished yet? And the answer is no, God is not finished yet. You and I are being asked to be a part of what's coming. God is going to put heaven and earth back together again, and our lives are a little bit of that. So here we're going to do it this way. You ready? You need a scarlet thread. I need a scarlet thread. Rahab hung one out the window where she lived to make it clear. Now, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. The great apostle Paul told us that we, can, we now, because of the resurrection, can look back through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus and we can read the Old Testament in a new way. When you hear red cord... What I want you to remember is the blood around the doors, doors during the Exodus. How did the, the angel of death know who were the people of God? Because they took blood and they painted the doorway with it. I also want you to do the obvious. I want you to look at the color. And I want you to think about Jesus. And I want you to think about his death. And again, we're asking the question, do I need Exodus 
which is what that red blood around the frames allowed those people to experience. Do I need rescue? Or Ahab was in trouble, and the consequences of history and her personal decisions were about to crash in on her. She couldn't fix it on her own if we wanted to. Her reality is your reality. Her reality is my reality. And thirdly, she's, she is at the seat of mercy. The only, way she's, the only hope she has, the only hope I have, the only hope you have is the mercy of God, which we know in Jesus. So here it is. Let this be the blood on the lintel for Exodus. Let this also be the blood spilled at the crucifixion. It's God's way of saying nothing you did, nothing you've done, and nothing you're going to do is going to surprise me. I'm not waiting for some future version of you. I love you right now. But we must choose. Rahab had to choose Team Jericho or Team Yahweh. She chose. Her heart melted. Your heart right now melting. Who are you going to pick? Team Jesus or Team Self? What's going to happen right now? The band is going to enter the room and start playing. We're going to do one more song. And I am going to walk down this aisle right here. And I'm going to give you a red cord if you would like one. Kathy's going to walk down that aisle and pass them out. And we're going to... Friends, take the cord. Admit that your reality is no different than, than Rahab's. Allow yourself to fall into the hands of a loving God who offers you the only hope that there is for all of us. We've gone big, now we've gone small, and we're going to go big again because we're going to be a new creation making a difference in the way we live our lives.